You're listening to the greatest multifamily investment advice show. My name is Adam Ross, and now I'm talking everything multifamily for an in-depth conversation, and I will be diving deep into raising capital, deals, and underwriting process. Welcome back to the greatest multifamily advice show. Today we have Christopher Larson, real estate syndicator, amazing journey in capital raising, public speaker, and marketing specialist in real estate industry. Please help me to welcome our guest. How are you, Christopher, today? Adam, I'm great. Great to be here. I would like to start with your beginning on multifamily. What was the upside for you to say, okay, multifamily is the best uh, scenario for me, not single family? Yeah. So, and I, actually, I talked about this in my book, Adam, that we were just we were just mentioning. I got yeah. I got your copy on the way. But if you're listening, you want to get a copy, check out nextlevelincome.com. Mm-hmm. Click on the book link. If you put your address in, I'll even send you a copy if you're in uh, North America. So I, I tell my story in the book, Adam, about how I, bu- I started buying properties at age 21 when I was in college. And I was just buying single family properties. And I thought, hey, this is this is a great straightforward way for somebody with not a lot of capital to build passive income. And my strategy was buy enough properties to have $10,000 a month coming in after expenses before debt service. And then it's like, Hey, if I just pay off the mortgages, I got $10,000 a month coming in. Right. So I was well down that journey. Um, But about 10 years into it, what I found was my return on my equity because my my equity had grown in my properties over time. Mm-hmm. My return on my equity went from about 30% when I started to less than 10%. It had been cut by about by about three quarters. It was actually down to about 7% on average. What's and I was taught, yeah, right? So it wasn't because I was making less money. It's because my, my property values had like doubled in most cases. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I was like, okay, there's gotta be a better way to do this. And I was talking to someone at a mastermind that I was at with my wife. And he said, Hey, you should look into investing in apartments. And I said, mm-hmm. eh. So I was like, yeah, it's kind of the same, but I'll look into it. So I talked to his friend that was syndicating apartments. Um, and he explained, you know, to me kind of the rash, the reasons, and this was 2013. And a mm-hmm. lot of the things that he mentioned were the same reasons that I got into the medical device industry. And it was mm-hmm. because of the demographic drivers behind rent rental growth and apartment rental growth. And I said, this sounds great. And when I looked at it, the best part was I was going to get even better returns. So it didn't take me long. It took me less than three years to sell all of our single family portfolio, roll everything into commercial real estate, mostly multifamily. We also um, bought a seven unit office um, in downtown Asheville during that period of time. And long story short, we are, uh, we're over 3000 units. Now we've been syndicating deals, um, for over six years. Hmm. And now we bring in investors alongside of us to do the same thing that I, I started doing myself about 10 years ago. So what is your, uh, major upside of your market right now? I think you're uh, focusing on uh, North Carolina. So what is the upside about uh, North Carolina, especially right now with inflation? Yeah. Oh, great question. So um, I moved to North Carolina hmm. because of the demographics. So I moved from the DC area to North Carolina. Hmm. And, you know, specifically, we buy in the Southeast, we buy in the Carolinas, Tennessee, Georgia, Florida, hmm. actually, Texas as well. Hmm. And the reason is, and this is real simple, you just look and you can follow like United van lines, I do a blog post on it every year talking about where people are moving. Hmm. And if you just look at where people are moving in my book, I call it the rising tide, go where people are going. 
Yeah. If you take your business, especially with real estate to where people are moving, you're going to do well. It's no secret now, Raleigh, Charlotte, mm. Greenville, South Carolina, Charleston, South Carolina. These are all tremendous growth markets yeah. um, because people are moving there. Taxes are lower than a lot of the other areas in the country. Businesses are moving. Quality yeah. of life's better. It's also a little bit cheaper as well. The market fundamentals basically have been changed, in, in including the net immigration, uh, as you mentioned, major uh, employers, um, uh, appreciation, the rent growth, uh, all of the market have, um, fundamentals on the southeast market, I think, is better than the west coast, I think, in, yes. in my opinion. And it's this basically your, uh, your uh, market strategy. Yes, it is. So, you know, we look at, we look at the size of the market. We want to make mm. sure it's big enough, like typically a million or more people mm. in an MSA or a, you know, a big city, you know, area that we're looking at. We want to see, you know, higher than national average in terms of economic growth, in terms of population growth. Mm. Um, we also look at kind of, um, uh, the affordability index. So yeah. I was talking to somebody, people are like, hey, somebody asked me this yesterday. They're like, do you really think Charlotte is going to continue to grow? And I said, mm -hmm. I do. And the reason is if you look at where people are moving, if they're moving from New York city, where you almost can't buy, you know, a, a, um, a house where, you know, look at somewhere like Charlotte, where you can afford a much nicer home. You can afford a much nicer apartment. It's still very affordable to rent. Nashville is mm. another one of those cities. Yes. It's very affordable in comparison to renting. So we like, we like markets like that because that means not only do the numbers work today, but they're going to continue to work for say the next five years while we execute our business strategy. Let me ask you this question about Nashville, Charlotte, yeah. and Memphis, because you're, yep. you're basically on Tennessee part and North Carolina, maybe Alabama too. Yeah. The issue with some markets, for example, uh, North Carolina, uh, Charlotte, especially and Nashville is the appreciation yep. and between 2008 to now, it's appreciated too well. I think more than 100% on the last 13%, uh, 13 years. Mm -hmm. Whereas the Memphis is different. It's appreciation is different. So what is your strategy, especially when it's like we're in, inside of the recession already right now? What is the best market when you're investing on the next um, deal or so? Are you keep looking for, besides the market fundamental, of course, uh, a well-appreciated market or more conservative market, like for example, Memphis? Okay. So that's a great question. So it depends what you're buying, right? So Memphis doesn't have great economic drivers behind it. I used yeah. to work for a city that was, or a company that was based in that city. Yeah. Um, I know that city pretty well, yeah. but if I said to you, Adam, five years ago, Austin's appreciated too much. It doesn't make sense as an investment. We'd look pretty stupid right now if we, if we were saying, yeah. So <laughs> yeah, you have to yeah. look at in comparison to what, right? It's not, not, none of this is in, you know, it's, it's not in a silo. So you have to say, all right, are people going to move, continue to move to Charlotte yeah. and where are they moving from? So I think that's important. Memphis. So if you're buying say single family homes and you, you, you want to pay all cash and collect rents, yeah. That's a nice market because your cash on cash returns for single family homes are, are pretty good in that market because home prices are low. But then yeah. you say, well, why are home prices low? You know, is it because, you know, like, like the Detroit or some areas where, you know, yeah, they used to Detroit. have big industries that aren't yeah. there anymore. Yeah. So you have to be, you have to be cognizant of that. Now the flip side is, so we bought a property three years ago in Charlotte and 
This is exactly what happened. And it's appreciated tremendously. And we get an offer to buy it off of our hands for a price that's similar to what we expected to sell it in five years. Are we going to sell it? Yeah, we're going to sell it. And we're going to look for an opportunity where maybe we can go in and execute a strategy, you know, in, a, in another market, another property um, like uh, Savannah, for instance, Savannah, yeah. Georgia, um, or Nashville, um, or something like that. But right now, um, as we see right now, is a market opportunity. It's not a like not a seller opportunity uh, market. Is a buyer market. So right now, um, working on appreciated uh, market is going to be risky. I think on recession, as you see, like now is the time to sell before if you need to sell. But um, right now, what is your approach uh, on recession? What is going to be your market? Mm -hmm. Still yeah, the same so, markets? Yeah, so the fundamentals in our markets have not changed. Okay. So the fundamentals in, the, in our markets have not changed. Now, what has changed? What's changed are cap rates have yes. gone down. Yeah. Interest rates have gone up. Pricing has not really adjusted. So we're looking at deals. We're underwriting. We're being more conservative with our underwriting. Yeah. We're using significantly lower loan to values. So the two current acquisitions that we're in the middle of, our loan to values are less than 60%. Yeah. So what does that mean? We have lower leverage. We can absorb yeah. an impact yeah. during a recession. That means our leverage is lower. That means our cash flow is stronger. And we're we're putting fixed debt on these properties. So okay. that you know that means we you know we have a little bit more flexibility. We don't have to you know keep our fingers crossed that that rates are going to go up or going to go down or yeah. whatever they might be. Um, and we're look we're being we're also being more conservative in our return estimates for investors. When it comes to that so we're baking in increases in cap rates and we've always done that in a sense but you know we're, we're just trying to illustrate that a bit more right now but no the fundamentals have not changed in these markets i will say this though adam and we just touched on this so a market like raleigh that a few years ago we could get into and the numbers worked really well for us yeah. as cap rates have pushed down below four percent mm -hmm. um, we've sold we sold our properties in raleigh um, and we've um, produced exceptional returns to our investors in those markets, and we've not we've not gone back into that market, for instance, because um, you know we're seeing better opportunities elsewhere. I think the lesson here is clear that during this uh, downturn, um, as a sponsors or operators, we have to be more conservative, especially on uh, the unknown. One of them is That's right. when you have some sort of like exit strategy to your uh, project. One of them is like, for example, adding value. The problem will be always uh, the speculation of uh, the interest rate. And no one has a crystal ball, basically, about right. knows the actual. But uh, one of the things is, as you said, you have to add more uh, conservative assumptions, one of them adding more interest on the excess strategy, which I think really have to be clear message to all of the passive investors. When you're investing on, on a project, you have to understand how is your operator approach because he can like give you a great returns, but he can seem like a genius, but it's going to be on return of the actual risk analysis of the deal. I think this is uh, what you, what we're trying to do, uh, deliver here. Yeah, exactly. Like we don't, we don't assume that cap rates are going to continue to go down. And when we bought, we didn't assume that that wasn't part of our return strategy, but if they do go down and we have the opportunity to sell, on a timeline that's a lot shorter than we anticipated with that return, we're not going to be greedy. We're going to, we're going to mm -hmm. accept those, those outsized returns. We're going to provide an opportunity for our investors to get their capital back plus some appreciation, lock in that appreciation mm -hmm. and, and move on. And that's, you know, that's, that's good because a lot of these exits have been 
um, before the market that we've been in right now. So investors, they, they didn't have to ride through some of this with their properties. They were able to get out. Yeah, 100%. I think my next question was be, would be, you started already, I think, your syndication uh, journey six years back. What was the initial stages for you for raising capital? Because this is, I think, the main core yeah. of any syndication journey. Yeah. Um, grind. Just grind it out. <laughs> grind it out. So, uh, no, listen, um, building, building a base of investors is about mm -hmm. building relationships, right? Yeah. Um, I've been in sales basically my entire life, my entire career. Mm -hmm. I started selling wrapping paper door to door when I was 12 years old. Mm -hmm. And my, my first jobs were in sales. I sold knives with Cutco. Mm -hmm. I spent the majority of my career in medical device sales, you know, both as a salesperson, also leading teams. And all these things had, you know, one thing in common, maybe not so much the wrapping paper door to door. Mm -hmm. But when you're working with a surgeon, you have to have a really strong relationship you know, built upon trust that you can execute, mm. you know, not mm. only on the product, but also on your service. And, you know, are you going to come through? Mm. And it's no different with investors. So, you know, that first deal that we did, we partnered with an experienced operator mm. so that we had, we had that experience to lean on and express that the to check investors. Exactly. That track record. And also it's insurance for us because we knew, Hey, this will help us from, to avoid making mistakes yeah. that, you know, we may, may have blind spots when it comes to those things. I think that's really important. Um, and that can be applied to anything. So, you know, it started off, it was a lot of conversations, you know, with, with friends um, that knew that I was an investor in real estate and what I was doing and saying, Hey, Adam, you know, this is what we're looking to do. Is this something you're interested in? You said, yeah, keep me in the loop. And you know, you might have a hundred of those conversations and 10 of those actually came to fruition because people said, yeah, yeah I want to, I want to do this with you. Um, you know, now we're, we have an investor pool of about 700 investors that we work with. And, you know, mm. obviously that some of those relationships go back all the way to 2015. Um, mm. when, when I first started, you know, yeah. some of those relationships go back 15 days, um, you know, from a, from an introduction or, or something like that. But the bottom line is that the conversations are the same. It starts with, you know, what are your goals in, as, in, as an investor? you know, why are you interested in this space? You know, explaining like we've been talking about here today, Adam, you know, our overall strategy and why we are in these markets mm. and then being very communicative and clear and transparent with respect to, you know, what our plan is from an mm. operations perspective and what some of those, those downsides are. And that's if, look, if you're talking to an operator, that's probably one of the best questions you can say is, Hey, what's, you know, what are some downsides? What am I not asking? You know, what happens, you know, what are some things I'm not thinking about or some worst case scenarios? Those are really great questions to ask. I think one of the things I would like to ask always, all of my guests is what was the actual step is help you to scale your portfolio, especially one of, I think one of the main issues always is partners. What was the, for you was uh, an actual action help you to scale your portfolio? Um, I'm sorry, what was a what? A specific what was a important step for you to oh. scale your portfolio. Yes. Yeah. So um, first off, finding the right partners is important. Mm. You can't, it, if you want to buy, you know, in an apartment building or a few apartment buildings, like you can kind of do everything yourself. You can yeah. operate it. You can work with investors. If you have investors, you can, you know, develop broker relationships to do that. When you scale, you can't do it all. And mm. frankly, you shouldn't do it all because you're probably not really good at everything. It's like trying to be a one-man basketball team. It's like, you're just not going to be very successful. Mm -hmm. um, although if I played, if my 
four friends and I played Shaq, he'd probably beat us. Um, <laughs> but uh, he also probably weighs 100%. Yeah, yeah. I, I got to meet Shaq a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, um, we'll sign, North we'll Carolina, sign I think. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. It, he's the man. It was a big so, one. Yeah, he is big. So uh, anyway, don't first off, don't don't do it all yourself. Find yeah. the right partners. Make sure that you fit into that partnership, into that team. And I talk about in my book, you know, real estate investing is a team sport. Think about it like a team sport. Think about like what role you're going to fill in the team. And then once you have the right team built out to scale, then it's about it's about building your platform. So you need mm -hmm. to figure out, okay, how am I going to, you know, get the message out? How am I going to communicate to investors, right? Like, so investors need to understand, I can't talk to all 700 every single day, right? Or yeah. every single week or every single month. So we have a podcast, we have a blog, you know, we have, you know, regular announcements that go out each week about our current offerings and those sorts of things. And it's like, it's about finding ways to communicate with those investors. Because remember, we should, you should always have kind of the fundamentals of those specific investors already in your system. Like why, why is Adam in contact with us and mm. doing that? Um, and then it's all about just communication basics, which is like, uh, I'll give an example. So we do monthly updates mm. during COVID. We did weekly updates mm. on all of our properties, weekly updates because people, investors were nervous. We were nervous. Like we didn't, yeah. we didn't know what yeah. was going to happen. Yeah. So it's just saying, Hey, listen, Adam, we don't, we're not a hundred percent sure of what's going to happen. We're not sure of what the government's going to do. We're not sure what our residents are going to do, but this is what we know. And this is what we're doing. And our, our commitment was to keep them in the loop. And I think, you know, I think communication like any relationship is tantamount. One of the things that you mentioned is going from zero to 700 investors. I think one of the things always we have to do is making the deal more friendly. What was like, making the deal friendly up like definition for you when you were trying to present yeah. the deal to new investor or existing investors? Yeah. So um, let's see, again, going back to kind of from start to finish. So the first thing is setting expectations. Here's, mm. here's how you're going to get um, alerted to a deal. Mm. You know, here's, here's kind of how it looks like on the front end. Here's, here's what your expectations should be from me. And then here are my expectations from you. Yeah. Yeah. Again, if you're an investor, you look, if we're buying a property and we have to raise 10 or $20 million yeah. and you're investing a hundred thousand dollars, we need your money to buy that property. You are part of the team at that point. So if you sign a document and you don't get your money in on time, we've got a problem. But if mm. I didn't tell you that I needed your money in by a specific time and, and was very clear about that, well, yeah. That's, that's my fault, right? Yeah. So, so that's important, setting proper expectations. And then again, it's communication, letting, letting investors know how to do that. One of the things that's a challenge in today's environment, so you're dealing with different generations, you're dealing with investors that may be 27 up to 77 or even 87 <laughs> years old, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, that 80-year-old investor, they might not respond to a text message, but that 27-year-old investor yeah may not respond to an email and you know it's so i may i may send send texts out i may send emails out i may follow up with with one-on-one -on -one phone calls and those sorts of things um and behind all this you know kind of going back to my experience in the medical device industry are systems you need hmm. systems and redundancies in place to make sure if something falls through the cracks it's getting caught 
and you have some way to continue to follow up and, and make sure if there's an issue. And when there is an issue, you just have to make it right. So, so when you mention the system, yeah. you mean the risk analysis system to mitigate any risk, correct? For everything. So you, yeah. need, you need a solid underwriting system to figure yeah. out you know, what your risks are, what your, you know, kind of tolerances are like, you know, um, on the upside and the downside, you also need, um, a, a CRM, which is, uh, like an investor relations management system. Yeah, yeah. So you can keep up with, with, um, you know, what, uh, investors are invested in, yeah. you know, how much they've invested all these different things. Um, and you just, again, you have to have ways to keep track of everything and manage that. And then also you have to make it easy for investors. So invest, like we have our, our portals, our investor portals where investors can go on, they can see everything in real time. And we get a lot of good feedback. And sometimes we don't get great feedback and mm. we take that into account and figure out how we can, how we can do a better job. Mm. I think the next one would be fun, funny question, which is, or better question, which is how you describe your superpower. My supercar? Superpower. Oh, superpower. I was like, I was like, <laughs> not supercar. No, no. Yeah. Um, yeah. My wife, my wife says that uh, the crazier things get, the calmer I seem to get. And I think that, you know, that definitely helped me in the operating room when I was, uh, you know, when, when things weren't always going well, I, you know, I feel like people could rely on me to provide them, you know, advice in a logical way, you know, in a measured fashion. Um, at that point. And look, I think we're all a product, a product, not only of, of nature, but nurture. Right. So mm -hmm. I, I was raised in a bit of a chaotic household. And, you know, so for me, having a little bit of chaos, isn't that big of a deal. It's got to, you know, and when it gets bad, it's like, like my finger, my son cut, um, almost cut the tip of his finger off, you know, a few months mm -hmm. back and he showed it to me and there was blood like literally dripping on me. I was laying on the couch and he it's dripping on me and I looked at it and I said, okay, like, here's what we're going to do. We're going to wrap it up in a paper towel. We're going to go into the bathroom. I'm going to get a bandage to, you know, kind of wrap around it to, mm -hmm. to put some pressure on it. Um, I said, grab a towel because we're going to get in the car. And I don't want you to drip blood on the car. We're going to drive to the, the ER. And we mm -hmm. drove in, he walked in and you know, we, we took, took care of him. And, you know, some people are like, I couldn't have done that. And maybe it's partly my experience, but also, you know, I think when, when things go crazy, I get, I get really focused and I'm problem solving a little bit. Yeah. I'm able to problem solve when things <laughs> are, when I have a lot of pressure put on me. So that's, yeah. uh, yeah. that's not, that's not as cool as flying, but I can't fly. It is what it is. <laughs> <laughs> so I think the, the last question would be about, uh, when you started to say that you had to partner with another capital company or uh, a sponsor, which is yeah. coming back to the, the, I think the start to need an, a mentor. So who yes. was the like influential mentor in your career, help you yeah. a lot to scale your portfolio? Yeah. So that the first group that I invested with, they were tremendous mentors. They have a program they have, um, that, that they run through and it's very structured and those mm. are relationships. They're friends that I can still rely on to this day. Um, I also have had multiple coaches. So I've kind of had different coaches as I've progressed um, mm. through my career. And I think, I think that's really important. You need, yeah. you need to have um, both someone that can kind of give you perspective and advice. Yeah. And then I think it's also important. I've, I started coaching as well. I think it's just as important to have people that you are mentoring or coaching yourself. Cause that, that also provides some perspective to say, Hey, you're, like maybe you're out of touch or what you think is right. Like when we start our podcast, 
my, my partner who was in his twenties said, Hey, you need to go on YouTube. That's, that's where we listen to podcasts. I'm like, yeah, you don't listen to YouTube. And he's like, yes, you listen to, that's what we listen to YouTube. He's like, I listen to YouTube all the time. I'm like, I never, like, I only watch YouTube. Like, no, who does that hmm. whole generation? Not me. <laughs> so you gotta, you gotta, you gotta keep people, you gotta keep perspective, right, Adam? Yeah. So I think that's, that's, that's just as important as having a mentor. You need people that you're mentoring because you end up learning a lot from them too. My final question would be about your book. If you can give us yeah. a little bit about your book, uh, information about it. Yeah. So listen, I wrote this book to help you on your journey. It tells a little bit about my story. Yes. Um, some of the hardships I faced along the way, losing my parents, my best friend. Um, but also it's a roadmap about how to walk through the process of, of analyzing and looking at value add multifamily real estate. So yeah, if you want to get a copy nextlevelincome.com, click on the book link. As I said, if you share your address, I'll send you a copy or you can just download the ebook or the audiobook there on the website. Guys, please add a comment on the YouTube asking for the book. He's going to send it to you. So uh, uh, my last question will be how the people can follow your success, especially that you have a, a podcast uh, covering the multifamily and investing. So far from the podcast. So can you give us uh, uh, more information about how the people can reach you. Adam, I love what you do. I love your platform. I love all the education you provide for everybody. And we try to do the same. And everything on our website's free. Nextlevelincome.com. Check out our podcast, our blog, get our book. Um, if you want to learn about our investments, you can click on the invest link. You can schedule a call. We can talk more about that as well. But hopefully um, this conversation and what we provide up there can help you on your journey towards financial independence. Thanks a lot for your time today. And we're really happy to bring you again to the show. Thanks a lot.